January 7, 1975. Eats hamburgers and 
You know, it all begins to fall apart. You know what I'm talking about, ultimately. See, so what is life about? That's what the story of man's constant search for, for enlightenment is. What is it about? Why? Well, this man was bugged by this question. He searched everywhere. He read all the books, watched Johnny Carson. And the more he watched, the more he listened, the more he looked, the deeper was his perplexity. What is it about? And then he heard a rumor that uh, way off and far off Tibet, there was a guy who knew. And so he traveled to India, and he traveled all the way up to the northern part of India, and finally had to swing from vine to vine uh, through parts of Assam, which, as you know, is one of the meanest sections of India. He arrived at the foot of the Himalaya Mountains, hired himself seven Sherpas. They struggled upward in the wind and the rain, the howling blizzard, the snow is getting deeper and deeper. And finally, he arrives at this plateau high up in the Himalayas, and they're squatting down. In front of a cave was this ancient man, this elder, great flowing white beard. He says, Elder, what is it about? The elder looks up at him and says, What? What is what about? He says, What is life about? What is life about? I understand you know. He sat for a long moment, the elder peered off into the eastern horizon where the sun was just beginning to creep up over the edge of the world and sending shafts of light to the great mountain fastnesses. And he said, Life, my son, is a malted milk. The guy says, What do you mean? Life is a malted milk. What are you talking about? The elder said, well, maybe you're right, maybe it ain't. And that's the end of the story. That is the end of the story. And so man searches. He's looking all the time. A TV guy went to three-part in-depth profile inside Lauren Green. with this fascinating human being as he tells you his philosophy of life, which basically reads, get a good agent. By God, he did. And so who knows of the mysteries of the universe? Mm. Man meets woman who tells him that she's his reincarnated lover of 2,000 years ago and she's returned to wreak vengeance upon him. It's a thought-provoking thing. Have you ever had the feeling that the women in your life are reincarnated lovers that you had 2,000 years ago and they come back to get you? And that are doing it, slowly making you into a cold flaw in the vast wearing blender of life, sprinkling a little, just a little mayonnaise around your ears to make it palatable, a little touch of salt, maybe a little hand-ground pepper. And that's the only way to eat pepper, hand-ground. I know a guy that's such an esoteric-type uh, connoisseur of elegant foods that he says the only way to eat pepper is pepper that is ground by the teeth of an actual Greek peasant. And he has a little Greek peasant that lives at his house, and when he wants pepper, this guy just chews it up and spits. 
for you search, you search, you look. You always look. Now, I myself, personally, I search for the truth of life. Late at night, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I sit there in front of the TV set. Between Preparation H commercials, I watch these Japanese monster movies. Oh, that tells you a lot about life. How many of you, how many of you know Rodan? Have you ever seen Rodan, great monster? He's a giant bird. Rodan. How many of you, of course, Godzilla. You all know Godzilla, of course. Godzilla is, Godzilla is the, Jap, is the Japanese monster movies as uh, Jello is to the world that kind of says, this is, you know, this is a, just a popular one. My favorite one is Gamera. You ever see Gamera? Gamera comes out of the sea. He rises out of the sea. He's got these gigantic nostrils. And he's got scales all over the top of his head. He rises out of the sea, Joe, and blows smoke in the direction of Tokyo. And then he comes ashore and begins to eat electricity. He eats electricity. The sight of Gamera chomping away on Transformers over at the Con Ed is really an exciting scene. And I... <laughs> I, I, as, as a student of Japanese monster movies, uh, I have, I have uh, worked all kinds of little talents. For example, I'm probably the only guy you know. Well, all right, bring it on, Joe. Bring, 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 bring that. Bring me a little monster music on. Now you gotta, you gotta get your, you gotta get your head right, see. You're squatting in front of your television set, right? 327. You don't know why the hell you're still sitting up there at 3.30 in the morning watching this rotten movie that was done uh, in 1961 in the original Japanese. It was translated into Okinawa, then it was translated into Greek, and finally you're, you're sitting here watching it in Pigeon English subtitles. Thousands of Japanese are crowding the streets of a crumbling Tokyo. Cardboard buildings are falling on him. And now you see, rising out of the sea, this enormous monster. He's blowing smoke. And for the first time in the film, he hears the voice of the actual monster himself. Camilla sinks back into the sea. Ah! Ah! 
mysteriously, we now hear a voice that appears to be coming from the stars somewhere. And the voice says, Earth man, you must learn to live in peace, or we will return. Watch, watch the sky. about as much sense as your average Tony Curtis movie, let's face it. And a hell of a lot more sense than any five movies by Robert Redford. And the monsters move for the great stygian swamps of the human mind. King Kong, the Mysterians. You remember the Mysterians? The King. Yes. And Kong himself. And, of course, James Arnett playing the thing. That great moment when James Arnett comes up out of the ice of the polar cap, a gigantic carrot. And Mothra, the gigantic 700-foot moth, was accompanied by, curiously, two tiny, three-and-a-half-inch-high Japanese girls that sang rock and roll. You ever see Mothra? What the hell do you guys see? I suppose night after night, you sit there and watch Canon. Night after night, you sit in front of a the set and watch endless episodes of McCloud parading before your eyes. And so happiness once again returns to the human race as the monster was defeated by science, technology, and love. But beware, they will return unless man learns to live in peace with his fellow man. with Bronze Oakley Palm for listener service above and beyond the ordinary mock of listenerdom. If you could tell me what this music is from. It's authentic, which is more than I can say for you. The end. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Speaking of the end, this is Ted Roller in the world. What a way to go. That's very exciting, wasn't it, Joe? Fantastic. No, I, I am a great fan. Did you hear my, my monster imitation? Let David Fry try that one. Anybody can do a mix of, you know, John Conlon. You just try to do Gamera once, man. That breaks not only talent, but you've got to have the soul of a monster to do it. And each one of us has it, of course. I think that's where we relate to monsters. Uh, how, how, let's take King Kong, for example. It's a good one. Classic monster. Most people related to King Kong. Somehow they felt sorry for him. 
Even though he was, you know, smashing down the air, did you see that thing? We tromped down the air. My favorite, though, was Frankenstein's monster. Uh, when I was about 10, I had a Frankenstein's monster rubber mask. Next to sit there, would not eat my Purina in the morning. Unless I had my monster mask on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're fine. Speaking of monsters, we have that word from one of our favorite ad agencies. Can you imagine what it would be like if states put the true state of their state on their license plates? You know, like uh, Indiana has, uh, well, Illinois. What does Illinois have? The land of Lincoln. Well, I mean, Lincoln hasn't been around there for a long time. they got other things going now. I mean, Jersey has the Garden State. Now, you've been to Jersey. If you, if you actually put on, on the Jersey license plate what Jersey's really like, be fantastic. And, you know, like something like 40% of the mayors are in, in jail right now. You know, uh, <laughs> imagine putting that on your, on your license plate, you know, the, the make-out state. Uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> or or uh, New York, the get-all-you-can state. You know, get in hell state. Empire, hell. Empire. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I uh, you know, this, this is beside the point. I just want to tell you that the science stands ready now at long last to bring true happiness to man. You've heard it for a long time that better living is possible through science. You've heard this? It's never really happened to you, has it? I mean, what is, what is, you know, so what does science bring you? Lucy reruns. That's what television winds up being, you know? And, uh, and, but science has discovered that there are certain parts of the brain called the pleasure centers. Now, anytime you have any kind of pleasure, there is one part of your brain that is involved. And you got that. Now, now uh, let's say, let's just, let's take a very simple pleasure, right? Uh, you, uh, you get yourself a giant Nathan's hot dog, and you start eating this hot dog, and, you know, it's a really fantastic hot dog. There is a moment of pleasure, do you agree? you agree to that? Well, uh, for a normal person, there would be pleasure, you agree? Uh... Now, on the other hand, there are some people who, it's, it's hard to believe, there are some people who enjoy eating strawberry jello. Now, I, I've uh, not met many of these people, although I presume such exist. And so when you sit down to a great big mess of strawberry jello, if you're one of those out there, my God, I hate to think there are those of you out there who get excited over strawberry jello. If strawberry jello excites you, I mean, uh, I can't imagine. What uh, say your average uh, West German orgy would do to you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that, yeah, but that, that's all—that's all academic. Uh, I want to get back there to the pleasure center. You, that no matter how vestigial you may be as a human being, and uh, basically primitive, because there are people who are all different. You know, so you know as well as I do that uh, that various other species. Let's take the dog, that there are various types of dogs ranging all the way from the most primitive to the most elegant and sophisticated, all within the same species. You agree? I mean, let's face it, you know, your average walking around mud that you find down on 6th Avenue that's rooting in the garbage, uh, you know, grunting around rooting in the garbage and dropping all that stuff over here and there as he goes, 
that is not necessarily the most intelligent of dogs. You agree? You, you will accept that, only grudgingly. I see. You relate to that type of dog. Well, uh, <laughs> I'd be surprised how many people do. So, so uh, it, it stands to reason that the human kind is like that, too. There are some people who are so primitive in the evolutionary scale that they're just about four or five, maybe maybe six notches above the newt. Uh, the newt is a very simple creature that does not even is not even capable of feeling pain. You know, some people are so far down the evolutionary scale that you can drive a ten-penny nail right in their knuckle and they wouldn't feel it. Did you know the horse is like that? Very little pain. He has very little... He's just a primitive. He's a system. He's just a great big uh, oat-digesting machine. Shovel it in the front, and then you shovel up in the back. That's all. And he just walks around. Kick him, and he'll run like hell. That's it. He's a very primitive creature. But we are very different, you see. We have all kinds of subtleties. And one of the big scientific organizations headed by the DuPont Company has brought out the whoopee hat. You just put this baby on the top of your head and set it for various types of ecstasy. And the electrodes will send the correct electric pulse into the pleasure center of your brain, and you will be knocked out of your bird. You just sit there screaming and yelling and hollering and, you know, just hoping that the batteries don't run down. This is battery-operated. And, it, and it's, it, it, it covers all kinds of ecstatic feelings by sending different wave shapes into your brain. You know, the, the pulse is a different shape. Like you look at through a, through a, uh, a telescope, you can, you can tell what the shape of the wave is. So they will send in uh, eating a fantastic hot dog wave. Now you don't even get fat. You just sit there, you know, oh my God, you know, you, 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 uh, uh, let's say, meeting uh, Ursula Andrews in your closet. You turn that up, see? And she's not only in your closet, she's waiting for you to come in the closet. And you come to the closet, and she says, at last! You hook this thing up, throw the switch, and you realize that this, this could do away with marriage, which, of course, would do away with divorce. It could do away with uh, alimony. Many people die every year just as a result of uh, of uh, passion. I mean, you know, you know, you're not talking about. I mean, have, have you ever had a girl throw a knife at you? It's just a serious. Have you? Have you? Either you two guys. Now, come on. Let's let's just once lay it out here. Have you ever heard of, haven't any of you ever had a girl say to you, I've had enough! And bam, throw something right up against the wall. Okay, all present company excluded from these moments of passion. Your lives have been nothing but long, quiet trips up the serene lake of existence. Friend, I have had it all happen. <laughs> Well, sure, why not? Listen, I once, I once one time had a friend who came over to my house one day, it's one night, and I was living in Cincinnati, so he, he uh, balled up at 3 o'clock in the morning, the doorbell started to ring. I said, what the hell? 3 o'clock in the morning, the doorbell's ringing. And, and I looked out, they had those little, little peepholes, you know, on the door, I looked out, and here's my friend out there, his eyeballs are rolling in two different directions, you know, 
And uh, he's now pounding on the door. He figures the door's only working. Let me in! And so I said, okay, so I swing the door open. He comes staggering in. And it was a fantastic sight. He had it. Have you ever seen the aqua scutum raincoats? You've seen those? He had three quarters of one on. The back part where it hung down, you know, it was a knee length that raincoat was just a gigantic hole. And it had all kinds of little 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 holes all around it. And I said, What the hell happened to you, Fred? He said, She shot my raincoat off of me. I said, She did what? He said, she got a hold of my 12 gauge, and I just got out the door. And just as I got out the door, it was round in the corner. Pow, she got it. I said, if you had not made the corner before your raincoat, you'd have got it. He said, that's right. That's why she's mad. She missed. And so, uh, <laughs> what are you laughing at? That's terrible that you laugh at things like that. Well, I, I want to tell you this. Man is capable... So any of you out there who are, you know, peace people and who believe that man is basically a wonderful creature and it's only evil society that makes them rotten, this is one of the great human delusions. It's quite the opposite. Society is benevolent, and it is man that makes society rotten. So that's what comes first, you know, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> society did not exist before the first caveman climbed out of the first antediluvian swamp and looked around and saw another caveman climbing out, and he hit him on the head with a club. Because he wanted, you know, he wanted a, a monopoly on the local clam situation. So uh, you, you, you've got to face it, friends. Man, it's tough. And I would like to salute uh, various countries where it really pops out. Athens. You know anything about Athens? You ever been in Athens? This is the cradle of, uh, of the Western civilization. Greek civilization, you know? You heard about it, Aristotle, yes, right? You heard about Aristophanes, remember him? Oh, he was laughing a minute. Electric, great. Fantastic. Electric. So with a kid. Electric. You get Aristophanes, the birds, the frogs. You don't know those great plays? They are not going to appear in the late, late movie. Frog played by Tony Curtis. No, no way. Uh, but here's what happened in Athens. You have a Constantine Duartes, 25. Enraged because waiter Nikos Agricopoulos refused to serve him a bowl of tripe soup, beat off the waiter's left ear. Well, Greeks will get emotional over tripe soup. You ever had tripe soup? Fantastic aphrodisiac. Uh, for those of you who don't know about tripe soup, you learn a little tripe soup with just a few sprigs of parsley on it. A little touch of that garlic, and I want to tell you, you're going to be ready for anything. That's what the tripe soup is. The doctor stitched back the ear, and the doctor said the case was not unique, and I will quote the doctor in the Greek hotel. He, he was the doctor in the hotel. He says, so we have at least uh, two or three bitten off ears every year. Last year, we had two noses. Okay. Now, now, you just stay around now. We're getting, uh, I, I, we're getting down to the basis of what this show is about. If you think biting off ears and noses is an isolated situation, I would like to point out we have now from all the way around the other side of the globe, Buenos Aires, Argentina, and this came in yesterday on the AP. There was a cigarette shortage due to labor problems. Witnesses said one man waited in a long line Finally got up to the counter, found that his brand was out of stock, 
stuck his head right over the counter, bit the vendor, took his left ear right off, and fled the scene with the ear in his mouth. Caramba. Yeah. Now, all right, now, you, you think this, you, you, you hear this, and it's a grotesque. Have any of you ever... Well, I better, I better, uh, I better preface this with, uh, with a uh, very careful introduction. I am afraid that most of you who live in the city are largely sheltered from the realities of mankind. You know, you know, most people who believe that man is basically a beautiful creature come from big urban centers. They do. I mean, Dr. Spock obviously didn't come from Rabbit Hash, Kentucky. There's no way. And then the further out in the, in the woods you come from, the more you understand what people are really about. Because you see men in relation to nature. And about two years ago, didn't cut two, Joe. Cut two. No, no, we're not going to use, we're not going to use the chase. Flip it over, cut two, side two. Give you something to do. Keep that busy, nimble brain of yours going. There we go. And you know what I've always said, Joe? Idle hands are the tools of the devil. I hate like hell seeing you grow those horns. Come on, get going in there and quit gapping. Your job is to do, my job is to do. And you better start doing it. Okay. Well, all right. Just two years ago, I am in the great swamp of the Everglades. Now, how many of you have ever been right deep in the heart of the Everglades? Or any major swamp? Now, I'm not talking about the Walt Disney scene where they always show the, the, you know, the pelicans sitting there and talking to each other and the bears playing and handball and all that jazz. I'm talking about the real thing. Well, I'm sitting in the middle of this swamp in a flat-bottom boat. And this was right in the center of the Everglades. And the temperature was about, oh, I'd say 105, give or take a degree or two. And a big brassy sun sitting high up over it. And once in a while, a copperhead snake would go by, just easing along through the dark brown water. And this is the center of the glades. It took us maybe, oh, five or six hours to get back in there. And I'm sitting in this flat-bottom boat with a guy who had spent 45 years in the glades. That's all he ever knew, really. Big, heavy guy sitting there, and we're looking down on the water, watching for snook. It's getting hotter. I said nothing. His name was Bud. Finally, Bud looks up at me and says, I don't know. God, I don't know. I feel a storm coming up. That's the way they talk in the Everglades. I feel a storm coming up. Better get back. I said, okay, bud. And I finally had to ask him. We've been together for three days, and I finally had to be asked. I said, hey, bud, before we go back, I know you now for some time. Yet. How come, Bud, you don't have a left ear? 
He sat there for a long minute, drinking his beer. And I tell you, it got bit off. I said, got bit off? Yep. He said, got bit off by the greatest biter who ever lived in this swamp. I said, the greatest biter that ever lived in this swamp? Yep. If you ever run into a real, a real good biter? I said, well, no, I can't say that I have, Beth. Not really. We don't see many of them on Sixth Avenue. Well, down here in the Everglades, I have to tell you, there's guys that fight by biting. He said, do nothing but bite. He says, and you see some great biters get together just to bite each other. He says, I saw two of the greatest biters that ever walked these swamps one time over the snook hole. Squaring off. They fought for over two hours. Till finally Ernie got his nose bit off and they called him. You mean these guys fight as biters? He says, yep. Dad, a bit my ear off was the greatest of them all. Caleb. You sit down around here, down by that big bed downtown, with Cypress Hill. Caleb, you stick on anybody. Anybody want to bite? Quicker than a snake. He had teeth on him like they was made out of stainless steel. He had a jaw on him was hard. But man, he moved. And when he was ready to bite, when he was fighting him, he'd lean over from the waist. His head stuck out forward. And he'd move it back and forth, back and forth. He's waiting to snap. I figured I could take him. I figured give him a couple of good shots in the ear and he'd be, he'd be ready to talk. He said, but you couldn't hit him. Every time I took a swing, he wasn't there. And I was fighting him with an axe. Oh, my God, he swung back and forth like a snake, and all of a sudden, the next thing I knew, he just went bam like that, and my ear is gone. Funny thing happened to Kaylee. He one night, I got a call. I had this wife, Clara. She called me. She said, come over, Caleb's dying. And I went over to the cabin there, and there's Caleb laying there in the in the bunk, and he's laying there. He just says, I'm dying. I'm a hot headed. And I says, what, come, what are you dying from, Caleb? He said, I don't know, I'm dying. He laid there for about an hour and a half, finally got up and he walked around. He's still out in the swamp. You can't kill that kind. One of the great biters of all time. I never heard of this. Men who fight by biting. Have you ever heard of biting? What a great sequence for real knowledge to put on the wide, wide world of sports. Two magnificent biters going at each other. And you've got to figure logical. Man is basically a carnivore. You know, those teeth aren't you've got sticking out there in the front are not called canine teeth for nothing. They're not made for chewing cabbage. So I sat there with Fred, and we finally pulled up the energy, and we got that little iPod going, and we went back to the bar where we sat for a while and drank beer. Never did mention his ear again. Because you think man is basically a creature of peace, a creature of 
get to have it. The unicorn among creatures. He's not feeding everywhere he's working, but he's really doing it. Thank you. That was really nice. Yeah, you play that thing good. Very nice. How'd you get that last chord like that? But uh, I'm not kidding. I mean, seriously, have you ever, any of you ever, uh, ever went into to, to the to the mystique of fighting as an actual art of fighting? I don't know whether you were listening to what I was saying, but 